Our Lady of Grace homilies are brought to you by a generous parishioner who encourages you to join in prayer for mission churches worldwide. Explore the Frontiers of Faith podcast for further insights into these missions. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Spirit drove Jesus out into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. After John had been arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel of the Lord. On the first Sunday of every Lent, we hear about the temptation of Jesus in the desert. And on other Sundays, on the first Sunday of Lent, in other years, we hear from the Gospels of Luke and from and of Matthew, <clears throat> and the stories of Jesus's temptation in those Gospels are rather elaborate and lengthy. And you have dialogue that happens between Jesus and Satan. You have scene changes and and all kinds of action going on. And then we come to this year and we hear the account of Jesus's temptation from the Gospel of Mark. And it is two sentences long. And here it is. Ready? The Spirit drove Jesus into the desert, and he remained in the desert for 40 days, tempted by Satan. He was among the wild beasts, and the angels ministered to him. Now, that doesn't mean by any means that Mark's account of the temptation is inferior. And and the reality is that in the Bible, one word or one phrase can be a door that opens up to a whole world of meaning. And this is kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia, where you have these kids in their uncle's house, and they're just bored to death. And then Lucy finds the wardrobe in the spare room, and she opens that door, and it leads to this whole different world. And that's what happens here in the gospel today. And those two sentences from Mark's account of the temptation is a phrase that totally unlocks what the temptation of Jesus in the desert really means. And do you know, you want to know what the phrase is? It might strike you as really odd. The phrase is, he was among the wild beasts. That phrase unlocks all the meaning of Jesus' time in the desert. And let me prove it to you. Where else in the Bible do we find a man living among wild beasts? There, there are actually a number of different locations, but the two principal ones are Adam in the Garden of Eden and Noah on the ark. And so in Genesis chapter 2, Adam lives in paradise with the wild animals that God had also created. And so there are real parallels between the Garden of Eden and the desert. So God prepared Eden to be a place for Adam to live. And in the same way, we hear that Jesus was driven into the desert by the Spirit, that it was a place that had been prepared by God the Father for his son Jesus. In the garden, Adam could find God whenever he wanted to. And Jesus went into the desert in order to find and to be with his father in a particular way and be prepared for his public ministry. 
And the garden was also the place where Adam was tempted by Satan. And the desert is the place where Jesus was tempted by Satan. So you see there are real parallels happening here. The Garden of Eden, the desert in which Jesus fasted. Take it another step here. There are real parallels with the story of Noah and the ark from Genesis chapters uh, 6 through 8. So God instructs Noah to build this ark and to bring two of every tame and every wild animal onto the ark. And then God destroys the entire earth with a flood because it's too evil. It can no longer be redeemed. And so in that story of Noah, what's, what's distinct about the ark? It's the only dry place left on earth. And its dryness is what leads to life and salvation for those who are there. And in the same way, Jesus enters into the dryness of the desert. And it's there by resisting temptation and by penance that he brings his human nature into perfect obedience to the Father. And that entering into the dryness of the desert is then what leads us to life and salvation in Christ. You see all these parallels? Are you still tracking with me? I'm going, I'm going a lot deeper into the scriptures than I normally would dare to with you. So are you, if you're not with me, come back, take a deep breath, and we're going back in. Okay, so what, what is Mark telling us here? He's calling to mind with that illusion these two really significant stories in the book of Genesis. What is he telling us here? What he's trying to say is that Eden and the ark and the desert are three parts of one single story. They're three parts of the one story of God's creation. And so it's pretty obvious Eden is the place of God's original creation, right? But then sin enters into the world and it corrupts what God has created. And so on the ark, God hits the reset button. And he eliminates all evil with the flood. And then creation starts over. And maybe, maybe evil wouldn't sneak in this time. But did it work? No. And so sin entered in again. But God had made a promise after destroying the world by the flood. We heard that promise in the first reading that he would never step in and fix evil by destroying things again. But listen, sometimes that's what we want, isn't it? We look around and we see all the evil and all the suffering in the world. And we ask, why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't he break in and punish all the people who are doing wrong? Why doesn't he get rid of these people that are harming others so terribly? Why doesn't he make all of this right? And the answer to that is because he promised he wouldn't. He promised he wasn't going to solve evil in that way. It was going to be solved differently. And so after the flood, when evil comes back in, the question that it leads to is, well, if God's not going to wipe everything out in order to get rid of evil, how is he going to solve the mess that we're in? What is he going to do? And the tragic reality is that for the rest of the Old Testament, that question goes unanswered. That they have no idea how God is going to solve this. They have no idea how he's going to make things right. And then we come to the gospel. And St. Mark in his gospel says, I know the answer to that question. I know how it is that God is going to make things right. 
I know how it is that he is going to correct evil. How it is that he's going to create us anew. How he'll make us whole again. And the way that he's going to do that is through the desert. Through the desert. Everything that I just told you is summed up in that one phrase. He was with the wild beasts. I have an uncle who made a living off of flipping houses. I remember when I was a kid one day, I was working with him and he was hammering a nail into a wall stud. And he bent that nail as he was hammering it and he used it as an opportunity to teach me something. He said, Clayton, the, the sign of a good carpenter is not that he never bends a nail. No, the, the sign of a good carpenter, he said, is if instead of pulling out that bent nail and throwing it away, it's if he can unbend it and still drive it into the wood. And after he told me that, he gently tapped the side of that bent nail, straightened it out again, and then hammered it in the rest of the way. That's what God wants to do with us. God wants to set our hearts aright. And listen, God looks into your heart and he sees all of the sin that's there. He knows. He sees the evil that's there. He sees the disorder that's in us. We don't have to lie about that to him or to ourselves. He knows that it's there. We're that bent nail. But the beauty is that he doesn't give up on us. He's not going to destroy us or throw us away. The sign that he's a good father is that he wants to set our hearts aright. He wants to recreate us. And that happens in the desert. Every Lent, we're invited to go into the desert with Jesus. And so my question for you today is, have you accepted that invitation? Have you actually entered into the desert since Wednesday when Lent began? Have you done things to go out into the desert with Christ? We do that in those three ways that we talk about all the time. Prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Have you taken on some form of prayer? Have you added more time to the time that you spend with God every single day? Maybe you could add the prayer of Eucharistic adoration to your weekly routine. Maybe you could add going to Stations of the Cross that we offer here at church to your prayer routine. Have you added some way of deepening in that relationship with Christ? Second, fasting. Have you made a real sacrifice that you feel every single day? It could be eating less. It could be giving up TV or movies or alcohol or coffee or unnecessary phone use or whatever it is. Have you given something up that will bite and, 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 and pinch a little bit here that will make you say no to yourself? And third, almsgiving. Have you made a resolution to share your resources with those who are in need? It could be monetary resources. It could be your time, especially. But have you made some kind of focused effort to show charity and love to others? It could be making a gift to a charity. It could be committing to serve your parish in some way. It could be a small act of kindness that you deliberately do every single day. In those three ways, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, in those practical ways, we enter into the desert with Jesus. And so let's stop today. And let's ask God 
to take away all of the excuses that we've made for why we're not doing any of those or one of those. And let's enter into the desert. And let's see how those very simple things will open our souls up to the recreating work of God.